Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to Talk Money here on WK. 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 <laughs> I don't think you've ever done this before. Well, if I have, I need to start over, you know. KWAM 990. I want to welcome. I'm sitting here thinking, got a hundred things going through my mind. You know how that works. Oh, sure. And I can only handle about two. You know? <laughs> so I need to slow right. it back down and regroup. But I want to welcome. We, we're very pleased to have Chris Wade with us today because he is our new producer and board operator. And welcome, sir, back into the programming business. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, not just totally. Yeah. Now, you know, he, notice how he said that. It was a little hesitant. He oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's not sure that he wants to do that. He's not dumb. Yeah. <laughs> we just want to say how much we're glad to have you back. And, uh, you know, we know we're going to, to um, you're going to do a great job with us. And you do a great job with the morning show. And uh, welcome back, sir. Thank you. It's great good to be back, I guess. Yeah, yeah good to it, see you, Chris. It, yeah. It's a good thing. It's so, nice uh, to see that people are still here, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <that's right. laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to uh, dive into what we've got to talk about, but we want to make sure that we, um, you know, you're here today with me, Keith. And, I am uh, here. You know, and that's good. And always I look forward to that because today we're talking with Rusty Leonard, the president and CEO of Stewardship Partners, and he's going to dive into the reality of... What's going to happen with the election and uh, the market? And you've got all kinds of information, and you're going to pin him against the corner. And well, uh, no. All we have to do is, is ask Rusty uh, leading questions, and he will give us a ton of information. He's a great resource. Home, and, you know? and, yeah, home, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. He does right. such a good job of explaining all this stuff in, in a way that we can understand and has such a great grasp of the global economic picture that it's always a pleasure to have it's him It's always on the show. a pleasure. Exactly. And then, of course, the second half of the program, if you have questions about long-term care, you know, we get a lot of questions about long-term care insurance. We do. And Jeff Grimm's going to be with us this, you know, after the second half of the program. And he's going to kind of go through the process of the definition and why and how to pay for it and why is it important. And really, I saw one of his statistics and we were looking at the program. And the reality is that men, you know, we we need it, but we don't live very long. Yeah, we, we don't sometimes <laughs> live as long. As, yeah, as long. right. And uh, so he's going to help us understand more about that. But uh, what do you got going well, on? Well, and I, and I love the idea of long-term care because, you know, you and I talk an awful lot and we think a lot about managing assets, but you can't think about managing assets unless you can think about how to protect those assets that you've worked your whole life to accumulate. Boy, you And know, I think long-term care is Long-term this. care, yeah. exactly. Well, if you just tuned in, I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Keith Quinn today, and we're going to be walking through several high-level questions about the market with our one of our favorite guests, Rusty Leonard. He is the president and CEO of Stewardship Partners. And when we come back, the first question right out of the box is the election is right around the corner. Is it going to, you know, is it going to affect us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Is it going to affect us? What a know? year, what a year. Well, you know, I voted yesterday. Wow, yeah, early voting, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. hey, we'll be back right after this. <laughs> 
Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs. It's what we do. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. All right, welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Keith Quinn. You know, you talk about the election we were going through. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, the key is I did vote, and uh, I was surprised. I, I'm an early voter by nature, and uh, I did went, just walk right in. And, no long lines? Uh, so. wasn't long. Now, when I came out, the line had begun to form. Right. But, uh, I was surprised. I was extremely pleased, the fact that it just walked right in, and it didn't take a lot of you know, Oh, that's great. That's and I think great. that people, but I've seen where there are people that are going through long lines to vote. A lot of people are Early voting. And I've read that the numbers are, you know, this is a, one of those times where early voting is, is really having a lot of people turn out. And I think this election is going to have a lot of people turn out. Well, again, I want to I want to find out what Mr. Leonard thinks. Well, let's think, see what Rusty <laughs> thinks about that. So, Rusty, welcome to the program, sir. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Well, you're talking about it. A pleasure. It's our pleasure because you always bring such an enormous amount of information. Rusty Leonard, the CEO and president of Stewardship Partners and a frequent guest of ours. Rusty, the the election is right around the corner. I, we were just talking that I got a chance to do some early voting, and I've done. I've voted about seven or eight times, I think, so far. Really? Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah. Don't just, play into the narrative, Jim. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. All right. Okay. But, you know, it's been crazy. It is. The election has been one. And I mean, I can remember back in February, Rusty, when we were at Kingdom Advisors, the reality is Mr. Trump wasn't even on the radar screen. And now he is running. And as Keith and I were just talking, 60 percent of the country says, no, he's unfavorable. Fifty one or fifty three percent. Fifty three percent. Secretary Clinton's unfavorable. More than half the country today <laughs> does not like. It doesn't like either, either one of the candidates for president. Of our candidates. So let me ask you this. If that's all in that, you know, the market, it just seems a little like it doesn't care. What's your thoughts? Well, you know, frankly, the markets uh, typically don't get too worked up about that. They uh, they understand that the you know the president has powers, but certainly over domestic policy, those powers are limited by the Congress. And to the extent that the market right now believes the Congress is at least one house is going to stay um, 
Republican, if if Clinton were to win, because the market's assuming Clinton's going to win at the moment, then they know that uh, probably not a lot can happen that would really damage the domestic economy. The only uh, threat would be overseas and the foreign policy side of the equation, and I guess the market must not be seeing many threats there right now. But, you know, a lot of people are very, very concerned. I mean, we hear, uh, you know, this... Oh my goodness! What about the oh my, you know the fear you know and you know what I'm talking about, Keith? Well, I think uh, I think really? absolutely, and I think this election is is kind of unique in that there are some things. And, you know, we were we had some uh, events at the firm the other day, and we were talking to clients about the impact of the election, and we said, you know, this is real. This is an important election for things like you know appointing justices to the Supreme Court, the the potential impact of that, but the impact on the market. I think it comes back to what Rusty said. As long as there is a divided Congress uh, and we keep status quo, the market's going to love that. Yeah, that's the point, I guess. Does the market normal? What does the market normally do? I guess is what I'm thinking about from that thirty thousand foot view. What does the market normally do in the aftermath of an election? Well, you know, it's interesting. It usually goes up. Uh, it doesn't matter who won and uh, what the uh, you know what the what people were thinking ahead of time or or not in terms of polls and such. It's just a matter of there's no more uncertainty. We know who's going to be the president, and then companies can start you know managing their affairs, uh, knowing what the future is going to hold and what kind of policies are going to be proposed. And uh, and might be implemented. So basically, the the market is this uh, very unlike most of us individually. The market's pretty neutral on these things, and really just is uh, self interested. And as long as the the new president and the new Congress doesn't look like they're going to harm corporate profits or cause interest rates to go through the moon or anything like that, uh, they're pretty copacetic about it. And they say, okay, we have that uncertainty removed, so now we can uh, you know go back to to business and start buying and selling stocks like we normally do. And on balance, that generally means more buying. So the market typically moves up uh, in the well. First of all, it typically moves up in, in any fourth quarter, right? So any fourth quarter of the year is almost always a positive quarter. And then it, in a election year, it tends to be a little bit less positive. And sometimes that that uh, kick up doesn't happen. It mostly happens mostly in December, you know, after the election has, has taken place. But nevertheless, it's almost always up. Now this this time I'd have to say, you know, it's a, it's a very strange election. <laughs> I wouldn't count on any past precedent as something that I'd uh, hang my hat on real, you know, real firmly. Did you I see that caveat he threw in there? You know, well, hey, if there was ever a time when past performance is absolutely not indicative of future results, this could be it. <laughs> this would be it. <laughs> this would definitely be it. Well, Rusty, when we think about that, and I think that's a great point, you know, we love to get past the election. We just have some certainty, kind of know what the rules are going to be. Uh, but there's also been some other things. You know, we've we've kind of not talked as much about things that are going on internationally as we've been more focused on the election. We've kind of pushed the, the Brexit concerns to the back burner. But I know one of the stories that came out over the summer and that uh, certainly got the market's attention was about Deutsche Bank. So can you explain to our listeners, you know, what was going on with Deutsche Bank and why that is important or potentially important for us as investors? Well, the main reason it's important for investors, you think, well, Deutsche Bank's a German bank far away from us. Right. It's what is known as the most systemically important bank in the world. In other words, it has the most interconnections amongst the global banking system of any other bank out there, primarily because of its monstrous derivatives portfolio, which is measured in the trillions of dollars. And so if this bank suddenly went down, uh, a la Lehman Brothers, it would be worse than Lehman Brothers because of all the interconnections it has throughout the financial system. None of, again, we'd be in a situation where no, nobody knows exactly what bank is going to fail tomorrow because of the, you know, whatever connections they may have at the Deutsche Bank. Right. And so it's very important that that, that gets straightened out. And thus far, it's, you know, it's not really getting straightened out, and the, the bank is you know, putting off all kinds of signs of uh, distress. So it is something that has been kind of uh, overlooked. And uh, given how recent it was that we have the Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns type issues, it's uh, kind of surprising that there hasn't been a little bit more concern about that. 
I believe the markets are just other working under the assumption, assumptions. There's just no way that the government would allow, uh, that the German government would allow Deutsche Bank to go under. And that's probably a reasonable assumption. But then we had that assumption with Lehman Brothers, too, and it didn't work out. That's so true. you need to be paying a little bit of attention to that and certainly have your, uh, your antenna up. Right. So the concern, not necessarily with Deutsche Bank, but with the potential for the domino effect, just the kind of same concerns we had with, with Greece when we were thinking about, you know, the, the financial crisis yeah. spreading throughout the EU. Is that, the, is yeah. that dealing yeah, with have, the, the Italian bank? They call it. Yeah. What about the Italian well, bank? Yeah. Yeah, you have the, the Italian banking system's a, a big mess as well, and has been for a while. One of the amazing things is that in the U.S., we had that banking problem, and uh, we got it all cleaned up, and actually our banks are looking pretty good. But, you know, Now, banks are always at risk of having something go, go haywire that uh, you didn't expect because they don't really tell you what they're, what's on their balance sheet. But in Europe, you know, we, we have strong banks here in the U.S., but in Europe, they never fix them up. They're, they're still in bad shape ever since 2008. And particularly in Italy, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And so the bad loans are piling up, and they're trying to figure out how to how to rescue those banks. And they're not coming up with any good solutions that any of the uh, powers uh, in charge of these situations are are uh, you know, feeling comfortable with. And so the problem just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And the, the more they they don't deal with it, the worse it gets. So even if Deutsche Bank you know dodged the bullet, which I suspect will be the case, I don't think Deutsche Bank will will probably go down. But it, you know, it's something again you have to pay attention to. It's a lot less clear that the Italian banking system won't cause some problems. And that's, you know, Italy's a very large economy. Most people don't realize. I think it's the sixth largest, fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, and again, a lot of interconnections around the uh, around the globe. So it could cause problems if their banking system did all of a sudden take a tumble. If you just tuned in, and we're talking with Rusty Leonard. He is the president and CEO of Stewardship Partners. And I want to remind everybody, this part of the program is brought to you by the Bailey Law Firm Estate Planning, Elder Law Probate Planning for all generations. We're proud to have them as a sponsor of the program. You know, if you talk about Italy, and Keith, we've talked about this, all the sure. and the domino effect that you just mentioned, I understand that there's something brewing as far as Italy and this whole idea of maybe their own version of Brexit. You know, well, that that creates that. You know, and I know that's coming up in the latter part of the year. Rusty, tell us about that. I mean, that's uh, that could be concerning to a lot of people. Yeah, well, we we saw what happened when uh, the Brexit vote went down. It was a little, at least, it was important for the markets uh, temporarily. <laughs> so the markets got crushed when that surprise vote happened, and the, and the Brits said, you know, let's let's just take our leave of Europe, and um, at least from an economic perspective. And uh, there's really, it's not even on the radar screen for most people, but there is going to be a, a similar type vote in Italy. Uh, I think it's on the 4th of December, if I recall correctly. And so, you know, not too much longer after the U.S. election, we're going we're gonna to see, um, see the Italians vote in a similar way. And obviously, if Italy pulled out and the, the Brits pull out, then you have to start questioning the whole EU, whether it will survive or not, and who else will follow so this is a pretty big vote. Uh, the Brexit thing, not as big a vote, really. It was a big vote, like I said, for the markets. They, there was a lot of traders positioned one way or the other, and they got burned because the vote went the different way, and that caused a lot of volatility. But in the end, it really isn't a, a, that big of a deal to the British economy. But if the Italians also vote to, to leave, and you know this would take some time to actually implement, but they did vote to leave, and others would probably follow, and the whole European experiment would uh, collapse or burn. The euro would have to be unwound, and There'd be a lot of ramifications from all that that would uh, upset the markets, at least for a little while. And uh, so it's something that we have to keep our eye on. And again, it's something that most people aren't even aware that it's about to happen. Well, that's it. Yeah, I think that's a huge deal because the Italians, unlike the British, actually use the, the Eurozone currency. Correct. So wouldn't that be just a, a really a, a really bad blow against the Eurozone or the European Union right. uh, if the Italians voted to leave? 
Yeah, that's yeah, it. it would. And there's no question about it. It would bring into question that whole. So the euro would weaken dramatically, and there'd be you know, the dollar would strengthen, and uh, so that would be kind of good for people who have uh, U.S. assets. You know, they're, whether they're invested in right. the U.S. and not in Europe. But uh, you know, all these things do sort of themselves out. I like to say, like when Brexit happened, I like to say if you were a, a widget maker in, in England. And you made really good widgets. You know, I don't think you had too much to worry about because people would beat a path to your door one way or the other because your widgets were the best, regardless of what currency you were using, what the value of it was. So, um, so that you know, it's not these things are more disruptions for the market than they are sometimes for actual people on the ground with real jobs. I love that. Focus on fundamentals. Yeah, that's the bottom line. Well, what about China? I mean, here's the thought. I mean, we're talking about an update. I mean, China's economy, we've read about it, we've listened about it. It's shrinking, they say, you know, it's not as robust. Uh, does it does it posing a problem that we need to be sensitive to? And, I, you know, I guess, Keith, what I like from Rusty, he gives us this global look. I know where he comes from globally right. and what he's, right. he thinks that way. And so I guess, Rusty, from China's perspective, do you see concerns there that, that would get onto your radar screen? Yeah, we've been concerned, as, as you know, from talking to you over the years about China for a very long time. And they've been able to dodge the bullet by pulling various rabbits out of the hat for years and years and years. And so uh, recently, the Chinese economy actually looks like it's ticking up a little bit and looking a little bit better. But the reason for that is huge debt that the government has thrown at it, as well as uh, a lot of incentivizing of the housing uh, business there. So what we saw a year and a half or so ago was uh, the Chinese blowing up their stock market, you know, and trying to use the stock market wealth to bail them out of their problems. And of course, that crashed right. and burned and the stock market fell to pieces. And then now they're trying to use the housing market as well as just uh, government spending to boost things. And, you know, it's having a temporary positive effect. But eventually the bills come due and the loans have to be repaid. And they are piling up at just an enormous rate. And even though China is a very large country with a lot of wealth, uh, the, the debt is is extremely worrisome, and uh, we'll have to see how they finagle their way out of this one. They've been able to delay the consequences of their actions for many, many years, but I think they're coming closer and closer to the end of that. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. I don't think tomorrow we're going to wake up and find out that you know, China's a, that's a, a real debt problem. But uh, sometime in the next couple of years, it wouldn't surprise me at all if all of a sudden that becomes the major headline in the uh, in the press. Well, Rusty, isn't isn't what's yeah isn't what's going on in China kind of a little bit of you know a result of their trying to change their economy and move away from this export driven economy towards this more consumer driven economy, more like we are? Uh, isn't that just causing a lot of the volatility? That's certainly contributing to it, yeah. Uh, because the main thing is that they're they're doing what they're doing in the process of that is piling up the debt, piling up the so, debt, you know, right? We, we like to yeah we like to talk in the U.S. You know, it's election season, so of course there's a lot of talk about the uh, national debt. And our national debt is, you know, obviously always like it to be zero, but right. it's not outrageous. It's very manageable. Uh, and so it's not, and that's why it's not really a big focus of the stock market. It's more a focus of the uh, politicians, but not so much the stock market, because it's really not a problem at this stage of the game. It could grow into a big problem later, and that's a concern. But right now, it's not a big problem. But in China, their debt levels are like four times, almost three to four times uh, as a percent of GDP what ours are. And, uh, yeah, that's a problem. You know, right. Uh, that eventually will cause uh, some real, real issues. So, uh, and so they've used that debt to prop their economy up to make it look like everything's fine. But actually, there's some real problems underlying there, and they will eventually bubble to the surface. You know, it's always good to talk to him. We started with the election, 
It's not going to be a big problem. But now we're into China, and you know, just it's going to be. He's going to wake yeah. up with the headlines, and so I was doing pretty good there for a few minutes. Now I'm nervous again. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so you know, but that's Got good. Be on the alert. Yeah. Well, it is, and I. But I think you know, and again, talking about the fundamentals, just like the widget maker right. in the UK. Yeah. You yeah. know, you come back to China and you think about the the sheer number of people over there, the demographics. Mm-hmm. You know, the the 1.4 billion mm-hmm. or whatever people, and as you grow that middle class, you know, and that may be. Uh, and I think I'm sure Rusty obviously knows a lot more about this than we do is why we love to have him on the show. Right. Uh, but, you know, it seems like that that's going to be just this huge growth in this growing consumers yeah. uh, as this middle class grows in, in China and some of these emerging market countries. Well, when we come back, and uh, Rusty, what are we going to dive into? This has been the, the fourth longest economic expansion. We're, we're, you know, and that's been slow and kind of, you know, we, we, people sometimes question it. But when we come back, I want to find out, is it going to continue? That's the key question. <laughs> that would be good to know. <laughs> you know, and I figure Rusty can <laughs> yeah, tell us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Keith Quinn. Our guest has been Rusty Leonard. He'll be with us when we come back. So stay with us. We'll be right back. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securin Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. Securities and investment advisor services are offered through Securin Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Securin Financial Services, Inc. nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council, Inc. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Keith Quinn. And we are talking to Rusty Leonard. He is the CEO and president of Stewardship Partners and a frequent guest of Talk Money and always does a great job for us. And Rusty, before the break, we were talking about the U.S. economy with its expansion that whether we considered it to be anemic or slow or whatever, it is continuing to expand and the stock market rise is in the second longest in modern history. Now, with that said... If I wanted to create listeners, we could say, oh, but tomorrow it's the doomsday. It's, you know, we got to move and get our, you know, I mean, create all kind of uh, fear. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So what's your take? Is there a recession? Is there a recession coming? I mean, you know, now I mean, because the sad reality is, yes, yes we are we are one day closer to the next recession. To the next recession. <laughs> I just don't know when yeah, it right. is, and I can't get in caught up in yeah. in the fear. I mean, I get frozen for that. So, Rusty, I think for our listeners, though, guide us through. I mean, you know, those are two big statements that uh, we are in the second longest uh, for our stock market bullish market. So, what do you think? What's your thoughts on recession? I don't think it's imminent. Uh, I don't think we have one. You know, like we, like we, we you, know, you said, it, you know, we're one day closer. That's the that's the news. You got to again keep your antenna up, but don't overreact. Uh, you know, there there will be a recession. We just don't know when it'll be. We know that there's a higher risk of it now than there was, say, two or three or four years ago, because we we're so far through this recovery. And as you go through a recovery, there's imbalances that need to be corrected by a recession that build up. But you know, for right now, it doesn't look like those are going to happen tomorrow. Uh, but you probably should start thinking about, you know, how should I position my portfolio? Maybe I, if I have, you know, been benefiting from taking a riskier approach and, you know, uh, investing in, in stocks that do well at the beginning of an economic recovery, perhaps it's time to uh, think more about safer investments that 
we are in the cycle. We're not in the early stages. We're towards probably the latter stages, unless there's some new history that's going to be written sometime soon. So it's just a, just common sense to to take a more you know increase your caution a little bit slowly as as time goes on, and uh, because we'll never you know typically what what happens uh, is that recessions aren't identified until after they've already started. Right. So you need to be kind of moving in advance of that. Well, Rusty, talking about recessions, and one of the things that's gotten an awful lot of press this year has been the earnings recession. So what are you seeing when you look at the third quarter earnings and then the number we got this morning, the GDP in the third quarter at 2.9%? Are these are these good things? Yeah, we almost got to 3% finally, right? Right. That's the uh, 2% level for a long time. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. Barack Obama is going to go down as the only president <laughs> who never had a 3% GDP growth uh, year in his entire term. Yep. So in the history of the United States. So he's uh, he definitely had uh, growth, but it was pretty tepid and just not very exciting. And uh, that's better than the alternative of uh, negative growth, right? You know, going the wrong direction, but it was it just wasn't something that was all that exciting. Uh, earnings, uh, we've been in this earnings recession for, gosh, a couple of years now, and the right. uh, stock market has been able to kind of handle that for the most part. We've had a couple of dips along the way, but basically the stock market uh, recently hit new highs, so it's not been uh, too bad. Part of the reason for that is the low interest rate uh, that has helped offset the earnings recession. And the other part is that that earnings recession has really been focused on energy and related industries because of the Saudi Arabian decision right. to you know knock oil prices down. Now they're coming back and off that decision and trying to reverse it as they themselves ran into a whole bunch of financial problems. And uh, so now we're seeing oil prices rise. We're seeing the oil industry and the related uh, sectors to that starting to see a little bit better uh, prospects. And as a result, I think the uh, earnings recession, as long as we don't get a uh, economic recession, if we dodge that bullet, as we think we probably will, at least in the short run, uh, you probably see earnings start to pick up a little bit, and there'll be a little bit more optimism about earnings going forward. Well, if we see that with earnings, and then I guess the next thing that we talk about and we think a lot about is, you know, what's the Fed going to do, and what are the what are the central banks going to do? And I think I can go out on a limb and say Fed's not going to raise rates in November, uh, but a lot of people thinking about December. But we still have all this negative interest rate policy overseas, Japan, European Central Bank. How is that playing into to our investment theme? And, you know, what should we think about all that? Yeah, that's very important. And again, most people probably aren't, you know, watching this as close as the three of us are. And so they don't realize that uh, the Fed has already backed off in a, in a lot of ways. Obviously, we stopped QE almost two years ago, I guess. Right. Now. And uh, so we're not, we haven't, you know, we're in much better shape than the rest of the world. But the Europeans and the Japanese and the Chinese are all pumping like crazy. They got the QE going on, you know, full tilt. And in fact, in Europe, uh, and particularly in Europe and to a lesser extent in Japan, there's some concern that they're going to run out of things to buy. That the central bank, you know, given the rules that they set up for themselves initially, unless they alter those rules, they're going to run out of, of uh, government bonds to buy by like March of next year. And that would come as a real shock to the uh, to the markets if all of a sudden they stop. So the markets are expecting the European Central Bank to alter their rules so they can continue and go ahead and, and buy and essentially prop up the markets. If that turns out not to be the case, we got you know there's going to be some some ramifications for the stock market, but not just the European stock markets, the global stock markets, because all these uh, central bank actions influence assets, asset prices right around the world. And uh, and the same thing, like I said, is there's a little bit of that going on in Japan as well. Uh, Japan has a little bit longer of a, of a timeline before they run out of things to buy, and they've already changed the rules a million times. They're buying stocks like crazy. Right. About, uh, about 10 12% of your average Japanese stock is right now held by the government. And about 50% of all the ETFs, a little more than 50% of all the ETFs, stock ETFs, index ETFs in uh, Japan are, are owned by the government. So they've already propped their markets up in a very, very much more significant way than we ever did here in the U.S. And uh, if they change those policies and they, if those changes come 
suddenly rather than slowly. Uh, there will be negative ramifications for the, the markets really right across the globe, but mostly outside the U.S. Well, again, it's a pleasure, sir, to have you on the program. You always do a wonderful job for us and uh, a frequent guest of ours, Stewardship Partners, CEO and President Rusty Leonard, and a frequent guest on Talk Money. And, Rusty, you know, you started with the president. I No, I'm not. I was going to ask him. No, I'm not. Ask him. No, I'm not. Uh, you know, <laughs> Put I'm him not. on the spot. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, man, I appreciate you being a part of the program. Thanks so much. We're going to come back. When we do, you're going to be listening to Jeff Grimm. He's going to talk about long-term care and answer questions that so many people have. First, before that, we got Mid-South History Moment with Rebecca Brazier. We'll be right back after You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return right after this. The Liberty Bowl Stadium has been the home to many wonderful stories. When the Memphis Memorial Stadium was built in 1965, it was dedicated to Memphians who had served in the two world wars and in Korea. Its purpose was to relocate the Liberty Bowl from Atlantic City to Memphis. The stadium was renamed Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium nine years later. In 1983, the field was named Rex Dockery Field after a Memphis football coach who was killed in a plane crash just two weeks before Christmas. Since the 70s, the stadium has hosted numerous professional football teams, along with a few soccer teams. During the 90s, the stadium hosted the Memphis Mad Dogs, who were part of the Canadian Football League. Although there were some difficulty adapting the stadium to Canadian football rules, that one season in 1995 was a high point in the stadium's history, matched by the exhibition baseball game there between the Braves and the Brewers in 1975. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. We've got Jeff Grimm with us now. We're talking about long-term care. And, Keith, uh, you know, one of the things we've always told our listeners, if they've got questions, just simply go to TalkMoney at ShoemakerFinancial.com. And we've got a couple of questions, and we're going to dive into those in just a few minutes. That's at TalkMoney at ShoemakerFinancial.com. We'll answer the questions. And long-term care is one of those subjects that get a lot of questions. A lot of people are concerned. They think about long-term care, but yet it's – you know, it's it's relatively new. It's probably only about 25, 30 years old. And can be complicated. And very complicated. Absolutely. And yet, when people are selling it, you hear people paint this terrible picture. And we're going to try to dive into some facts and remove some of the sales aspect of it. It is right. a decision that people have to make. Is it best for me or should I not have it or what? And again, it's a, it's a, it's an independent decision. I mean, you have to guide your, you look at yourself and work with your family and say, you know, am I going to need that type of coverage? Absolutely. And I think there's always that issue of, you know, you thinking about, do you need that? And I think uh, it's hard to make an argument that there's a lot of people that don't need this in well, some form or fashion. That's true. Yeah. You know, but again, let me just, so I clarify that. If a person's got a $10 million estate, maybe they don't need long-term care. They could care. probably cover the cost probably of their care. Probably cover the cost. But if a person has a 
$100,000 estate, mm, that's kind of tough. That's kind of tough. And so yeah. you got to, you've got to weigh the cost it's, it's and, always the, and look yeah. at those things. So, Jeff, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me on, Jim. Uh, let's start, Jeff, because I think well, let's get a definition of what is, for people listening, what is long-term care? Well, long-term care, first of all, it's care for when you can't live independently and you need hands-on assistance with the basic tasks of everyday life. It's also, it's, it's long-term, so it's also extended for an extended period of time for people who can't perform the activities of daily living, such as uh, dressing and bathing. So, so again, dressing and bathing? Because sometimes I feel like I can't, I perform, can't perform the activities. That. So do I, you know, I don't know if I qualify. Or... I'm not sure, sure. That's not so. But let me ask you this. There, there is some activity that they do measure, the activities of daily living. And you talked about bathing or, or dressing, but there's some others. What are some of the others? Yeah, so there are six of them. Bathing, eating, dressing, continence, toileting, and transferring. So those are things that... If a person, any one or two of those that uh, would qualify? Well, for traditional long-term care insurance to go on claim, you have to you have to be in need of two of those six activities of daily living, or you have a cognitive impairment such as Alzheimer's. Okay. All right. Well, that's a... And that really does do a pretty good job of pulling in the people that really need the care. Uh, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. that's the key. I mean, exactly. you're not, you're yeah. not looking for... Uh, my mom, I remember in, in her situation, uh, you know, we, we, she was 92 when she passed away. So she had lived a very long life right? and she was extremely independent till about 86 and driving her own car and doing her own thing and no problems. And then about, you know, 86, 87, we moved her from an independent place to somewhere she had some care. Right. And then the mistake, you know, not a mistake, but the reality, she failed. And so we went through rehab and then eventually rehab to a nursing home because we just, she never regained that full capacity to be independent because of some of these things. And that, whether it's bathing, eating, dressing, countenance, toileting, or transferring, that's what we're talking about. Any two of those six. Well, Jeff, help us with this because I think we kind of think about this. So my mom, as I said, 86, 87, 88, who needs care? Talk about that for me. Yeah, well, individuals may need care at any age. The older people are the primary users of long-term care services. Uh, some statistics are, you know, 70% of the people at age 65 are, uh, are going to use some form of long-term care during their lives. And you compare that to your chance of uh, having a house fire or car accidents, which is 25% chance in a lifetime. So that's, that's pretty good odds that you're going to use it. And there are also a no- number of other factors uh, in considering whether or not you can need long-term care. Uh, age, age is one. Uh, life expectancy is past eighty now. If you, if a male lives to age sixty-five, you know, he's his life expectancy is going to be eighty-four on average. And if a female lives to sixty-five, her life expectancy is going to be eighty-six on average. There's also, you know, a disability. Uh, younger folks, even you know, eight percent of the people in their forties have a disability that require long-term care. And then you think of the older folks, sixty-nine percent of ninety-year-olds have a disability. So, so typically, it's you know your older age when you can't really live independently. That's a huge number. Seventy percent of the people over age sixty-five are going to need some form of long-term care. Yeah, and you don't think about that. You and don't. Again, let's make sure long-term care doesn't mean that you're in a nursing home. Right. This can be that you're getting care. I mean, you know, I'm a little bit bigger than my wife. Now she's strong. She could whip me around pretty good. <laughs> so, but she would have a struggle taking care of me. If I was one of these six. Right. She's not going to be able to drag you around. Nope. Yeah. And and she, (laughs) oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) That was not a pretty visual for me. You know, I I got it. You know, uh, she would, uh, 
She would drag me around. That's just it. Uh, four-wheeler, car, truck, whatever. <laughs> but the point is, I mean, that becomes an issue. And so we're talking about we're talking about helping someone have a quality of life at a stage of life that is very difficult. And Jeff also made another great point, you know, about the, it's not just the elderly. Sometimes, you know, when you're younger, you have that. I I have a friend that had MS and and it saved him, let him stay in his house. Exactly. Well, I had a, when my mom was at this particular facility that she was at, which was a great facility, did a great job for her. The room next to her, she had a private room. Then the room next to her was a 39 year old young man that had had an automobile, not an automobile, excuse me, a uh, motorcycle accident. Right. Right. But basically nicest guy in the world, but you know, that was going to be his life for the rest of his life. And that's what you're talking about, uh, Jeff, is the reality of. And so when we talk about whether a person needs this coverage, one, one of the thought processes that I want to make sure to understand, a person needs to go through the thinking of this. If they need it, they need to understand the statistics. They need to know, you know, the, back to your 70 percent, sure. the reality. Can they afford it? They need to price it. You know, if, if, can you afford it today? But what about 10, 15, 20 years from now? Sure. Can your estate sustain that cost? So all of those questions need to be up front. And when someone's selling it to you, be careful that you don't get too caught up in the emotional side that you are looking. I'm not knocking the emotional side. I'm don't want to look at it logically, too. Well, and I think, you know, and, and again, Jeff does a great job of this, as, as our other advisors do. You know, it's not a long-term care uh, care sell necessarily when you sit down with someone. It's a financial plan. And if long-term care f- fits into that financial plan, then I know it's something that you talk to people about. Yeah, absolutely. It's Asset protection is a huge part of it. You know, when you enter retirement, you have enough money to live on each year as well as having money to pay for a claim or, or will a claim drain your whole estate? Yeah, that's a great point. And then think about it from this standpoint, a drain – and I'm left, you know, let's say it's me that's in the, you know, long-term care facility and my wife's sitting there and I've drained the entire state. And now she, yeah, she has, she yeah. has nothing. So right. that's what you're talking about. Protecting the assets for the remaining spouse. Yes. That's critical for us to think about. Well, again, I, I want to make sure people are said Jeff Grimm is our guest today. If you'd like to talk to Jeff, telephone number 757-5757. We're going to come back in a few minutes, but right now I want you to know we have questions, and we're going to answer some of those questions when we come back. How, one of the questions is how much do you need? How much do you need? And that's Steve. such a question that we want to dive into and help people understand. So thinking about that, we're going to talk. Jeff's going to help us with how much do you need. But here's the question. If I have a long-term care policy and one of us die, what happens to the premium? That's a question so many people. Does the premium Absolutely. go it's up a huge deal. or right. go down? Right. That's a question. And again, if you've got questions for us, just go to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Just simply give us the question. We'll try to get it on the air for you. That's talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back after this. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact 
contact 901-757-5757 at shoemakerfinancial.com. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And we're talking with Jeff Grimm. Uh, Keith and I are walking through the process of do you need long-term care and trying to give you the, the thought process that you need to go through. Not just get caught up in what some salesman's talking to you about, but is it a part of a plan? Is it something that fits with what you're trying to do in your financial strategy? And that's the key with long-term care. It's not for everybody, but you need to think through it. It may be for you, and that's a critical note for you to make. So I guess, Jeff, in the question, as I said, how much do you really need is, is kind of one of those questions that so many people, you know, what's the deal? I mean, you know, do I need a big, huge policy, or can I get by with this? And Help us out. Well, yeah. So I'll tell you about some averages of how long people stay. Uh, women need care longer, an average 3.7 years. Men only stay in there about 2.2 years. And now what does that say? We just don't make it as long. <laughs> We're destined to go first. Are we the weaker sex? Uh, well, I think obviously. <laughs> no question. Yeah, yeah. And also think about the cost of a private room nursing home. I mean, that's 70 plus thousand a year. Right, for... and here in the, in the city of Memphis, Tennessee, in the Mid-South, yeah. 70,000. 70,000 a year is a huge expense. That's a big expense, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so one-third of today's 65-year-olds may never need long-term care, but you know, 20% may need it for longer than five years. So the reality is you're really insuring someone for that three, if it's a female, 3.7. You're really thinking, okay, 36 months, okay, just using that number. But the reality is there may be someone that goes for a longer period than that. I have seen cases where it has gone for longer for that, longer than, than 36 months. Absolutely, and I think it comes back to the fundamentals. You know, you plan for the worst. If you have to have to use right. this, but you hope for the best. You hope you never need it. There's a lot of different kind of plans. The question, and again, anybody can send us a question to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We do have a question, and a great question. It says they have a long-term care policy and with with their husband, and they purchased it and from someone, and they walked through that process. They got a good contract. They know what they've got. But here's the question. If one of us would were to die, does the premium change? Mm-hmm. And that's a great question because in some insurances, such as automobile insurance, you know, you got two coverage, or you know, coverage where the two of you are over 60. And, you know, you think, well, hey, we got this joint coverage. Maybe my premium will go down. Right. But in reality, sometimes when you're just insuring one, it does go up. So they, the question is, does my premium, if if we're together, joint life together, and one of us die, does my premium change? And, and Jeff, that's a great question. What's your thoughts? Well, yeah, it depends on the policy. And I have to see the policy to give an exact answer. But traditionally, traditional long-term care is if you think you have one policy, but you and your spouse actually have two policies. You just may be praying one premium that's joined together. Yes. So each of you have an individual amount you pay a month that's not going to change. So if one spouse dies, their premium falls off, and you just continue paying your part of the premium. Even though it appears you're paying one premium. Because it's not a joint life proposition. No, it's not a joint life. Yes, you're both individually underwritten. But you need the contract before you can give specific to that, but that's the thought process behind how the policies are priced. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay, that's a great answer. Thank you, Jeff. I hope this person's listening to the program. Again, if you've got questions for the program, Shoemaker Financial, all you got to do is go to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, and we'll definitely uh, get those questions. Jeff, who pays for long-term care? That's a question that everybody thinks about. Well, you, if you if you don't have anything in place, you know, you'll pay out of pocket until you can. 
uh, once, once all your assets are drained, you know, Medicaid can, will, will pay for long-term care, but you basically have to spend down all your assets to nothing, to poverty level, and then you become a ward of the state with no, no decisions on where you're going to live. Uh, Medi- Medicaid also, you know, it pays for the largest share of long-term care services mm-hmm. out there. And then, you know, long-term care insurance, if, if, you, if you can transfer that risk off to an insurance company, that, that's the best way. You know, you give them a dollar, you get three back. Okay, so that's you're thinking, well, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, and then, you know, private pay insurance, right. and that's key from that standpoint. So that's good to know. I mean, now I know from a financial planning perspective, a lot of people try to move assets away in order to get Medicaid, but they have to understand that's a five-year wait. You can't just move it and say, okay, now I got Medicaid. I say, what, people would try and game the system? Sure, surely not. I've seen it done. Yes, I have. And again, I don't know if that's gaming the system. It's really protecting assets. And the reality is a lot of people have said, well, because I do that, then there's a five-year window that those assets are away from the individual and in order them to qualify for Medicaid, but it is something to do. It is something that people can understand that is there. And then, of course, the last opportunity that everybody needs to be aware of is purchasing a private pay insurance policy. Think about it. It's a, there's a lot of different types of policies out there. Don't just jump on the first one that you've uh, been told about. That's critical for anybody. Jeff, let me ask you this because we get close to it. You know, let me, anyone that has lived in a situation like, like we're talking about that's had a family, they know they need coverage. Quickly talk about something I know in your own private life. Well, yes. So my grandmother was fortunate enough to have a great advisor, and she she bought long, a long term care policy in the nineties for very very cheap premiums. It also had an unlimited benefit period. She's now ninety four, and she's been in an assisted living facility now for three years, and she's in great health for a ninety four year old. She's a wonderful lady, and she looks she looks like she's a lot younger than that, even after having a, a stroke a while back. Uh, and she's 94 now, been there three years, and who knows, she could, she could live another five, six, seven, ten years. And luckily, she had this great long-term care policy in force that's going to pay for as long as she lives. Well, that's the way it works, and that's, that's a good part about it. That's the great part of it. You know, we've had one of those programs, Keith, that it's gone. Well, yeah, we covered a lot. We covered a lot. Chris, I mean, uh, you know, we talked about Chris Ward when we started. We're looking forward to having him with us and uh, next week, and then... Uh, Jeff did a great job talking about long-term care, and of course, Rusty. Rusty was awesome, yeah. and uh, that's what we always want. Well, today's program program—it's well. Been wait, fun. before we do that, no, and no, it no, has we been gotta fun. Go, but... <laughs> we gotta go, we gotta go. My producer and board operator has been Gil Worth, and of course, guest and content coordination Francis Fortner, and production assistant Eleanor Moskovitz. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Keith Quinn. Mid South History Moment by Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. Thank you, sir, for being with me. Jim Shoemaker, happy birthday, sir. <laughs> I'm going to get that in if I have to. <laughs> here you are. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you being here, man. Thank you, Jim. Happy birthday. All right, guys. It's been good. We'll be here next week helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Jeff Grind are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securin Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.